0: I wasn't terribly surprised. I thought it made sense dramaturgically. Hello and welcome to the third episode of Dramaturgically with your host Stephen Clark. And as the podcast begins to really get some steam and and we get our third episode of the week going, um, I'd just like to thank anyone that's been listening along so far. And just to, I guess, properly announce on the podcast, because I haven't said so, that yeah, the first seven days of the podcast will feature seven films um, that I love and um, uh, I guess I am recommending to any audience members who haven't had the chance to see them. Um, So yeah, I'd just like to reiterate again. Yeah. Thank you for anyone that's listened so far. And yeah, without any further ado, I'd love to introduce one of my all-time favorite films. And I'm so excited to speak about this film. 1951's Ace in the Hole. in the Hole was directed by Billy Wilder, one of the all-time great American directors. Um, Still to this day, you can see his influences in people like Martin Scorsese, uh, Spike Lee, Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, Truly one of the most I don't want to say underappreciated because in certain circles he definitely gets the love and adulation that he deserves. Um, But certainly to modern audiences, people might not be that familiar with him. Probably the most familiar people would probably be with his work are through films like Sunset Boulevard or Double Indemnity or even the film starring Marilyn Monroe, Some Like It Hot. Um, But this film I'm talking about today, Ace in the Hole, um, which was his direct follow-up to Sunset Boulevard. Um, Is definitely one of his lesser-known films, Um, but the community of people that have seen this film absolutely love it, and uh, I really can't overstate how much I personally love this film, and I think that's going to come across in today's episode, Um, and I'm sorry for that, Um, but also I'm not sorry because this is an incredible film, truly one of the darkest um, American films of its era, and to be honest, still today in 2023, this is one of the darkest films. Um, that you're likely to come across. Not in the way that like a Saw or a a, a slasher film or a horror film today you might see um, is dark, but no, thematically dark. Um, uh, Its characters are morally questionable. And to be honest, I don't know without this film and without our lead character in this film, Chuck Tatum, portrayed by Kirk Douglas, um, that we get a character like uh, Heisenberg or Walter White in Breaking Bad. I don't think that... uh, we truly see American cinema and television bring on characters like uh, Tony Soprano. Um, Truly, I think um, Chuck Tatum is, (laughs) is one of the all time great uh, American characters and, (laughs) and truly hasn't, uh, received any flowers for this, for this role. I mean, Kirk Douglas was, uh, not nominated for this role, which I find is insane, but I think at the, at the time in the 1950s, box office did tend to have a big sway on whether or not a film was sort of deemed awards worthy. Um, but even up to the point of his death, um, Billy Wilder still maintained that this was uh, one of his finest films and in my opinion, it definitely stands the test of time and remarkably, um, remarkably still relevant and still <clears throat> still fantastic to watch I mean it looks beautiful on the Criterion restoration but not only that it's shot in such an entertaining way and so creative that um, a lot of it just feels so modern it just feels like it's shot in beautiful black and white but that's the only <laughs> that's the only telling of the fact that it's made the 1950s because everything else about it is so far ahead of its time um, so I'll just break down the plot for you guys for anyone who's unfamiliar with the story It chronicles the the story of scoundrel Chuck Tatum, who is a a down-on-his-luck journalist who moves to a small town in desperate hope of finding work after being fired from a slew of big city newspaper corporations for a multitude of reasons, stemming from alcoholism to uh, having an affair with his boss's wife, just general sort of uh, really bad behavior for an employee. Um, and we get a real sense really early that this guy is a bit of a scumbag, a bit of a low life. And, um, we don't quite see straight away how, how deep into the depths of his own humanity he has sort of, uh, reached down into and thrown away, but we do definitely as the film goes on. Um, so he insists that he's only going to, uh, use this local town to uncover a story big enough that it will propel him back into his well-paying job in New York, um, but we quickly notice after a year of toiling without success, um, that Chuck is unable to find this big job and it's sort of, uh, breaking on him and he's sort of taking it out on the people around the office. And we just see generally pretty early how much of an unlikable, um, character that Chuck actually is in deep down, how much of a, of an egotistical narcissist that he is, um, And finally, the inciting incident of the film takes place, and Chuck finally catches his lucky break. A local man in a nearby town has become trapped uh, deep within a mine. He's injured and in need of immediate help and rescue and medical attention, and uh, Chuck, being the first man on the scene, is able to establish control over the whole situation. He uh, alerts the local sheriff, who then he manipulates into giving him full autonomy, with a promise that his story will paint the sheriff in a shining light before the upcoming election. Uh... Chuck essentially like gains power through the sheriff to uh, block out any other journalists getting access to the man uh, and the story, and everything has to come through him. So essentially, he has complete power over what information goes out into the public. And it quickly becomes a, a national story and uh, gains attention from a lot of media outlets who come to check it out, and a lot of people, uh, a lot of locals, but also people from outside the towns come to check it out. And Chuck is essentially this big, um, <laughs> this big sort of governor of this of this small of this small little um, town that begins to form outside of the mine. And he essentially just completely uh, dominates and, and takes over power of everything around him, um, including the wife of the man, uh, the man Leo momoza who is trapped in the mine. His wife uh, runs a local burger store and and uh, a little hotel nearby the mine. And essentially we learned pretty early on that, uh, she's not the morally the, the greatest either. Uh, Leo and her, and her, um, marriage have been going, have been going to plan whatsoever. And, um, she intends to use this opportunity where Leo is trapped in the mine to leave him and run away. Um, but with Chuck's, uh, cunning and, uh, essentially, need for her to be in the town. He wants to use her essentially because uh, having a grieving wife in the town um, that he can constantly quote and talk about in his stories is going to make for a better story. So he he manipulates her and convinces her to stay because she can make a lot of money and then she can run away um, right before Leo is freed. Um, and a lot of these sort of self attacks takes place, and Chuck sort of makes lots of decisions, which um, really slowly, slowly corrupts the people around him, and and uses uh, Leo's unfortunate circumstance to essentially build a grand throne for himself and a, a spiraling narrative, which he can sort of thrust into the into the hungry mouths of of, of American uh, citizens, and yeah as he's te- as he keeps making these selfish decisions um he decides to slow the rescue down in order to drag the story out over a week as it's become national news and he forces the hands of the big newspaper corporations to come to him begging for scraps and he plays them off one another to to make as much money as possible and this is just an, and that this is essentially how the story uh begins and starts and essentially he begins toying uh with leo's life um uh, trading bits and pieces of his of his safety and of his I guess story um, for more and more power and money and um, and future status essentially, and we see that Chuck is completely in his element in this um, in this environment and he uh, and this is absolutely great credit to Kirk Douglas who is one of the all time great American actors but in this role particularly he just. Oozes this um, confidence and bravado, and um, and just I guess like narcissism that that just really really bleeds off him he's just so confident in himself and he just completely as soon as this situation falls into his lap he just is he takes to it like a duck to water and he just begins running and manipulating people and he doesn't relinquish a single ounce of power for the entirety of the film and it's it's quite it's quite frightening to see a character like this and it's truly revolutionary for the time because this is our lead character, you've got to remember. I mean, probably the closest thing is maybe Citizen Kane, but even then, um, Kane still, I guess, um, had a lot of... Like, like, you felt remorse for him, you felt sympathy for him, and the whole point of the story, I guess, is uncovering the seeds of his humanity and, I guess, where, um, what made him the, the person that he became later on in life. But whereas was this story... It's completely relentless it introduces you to chuck to chuck as a foregone lost character who isn't really capable of redemption and isn't really interested in it either and essentially as he continues to go further and further down the rabbit hole um essentially selling his soul um we we truly see just how 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 deep he can go and it is so entertaining and so fun um, which isn't something you'd think you'd be saying but this is a this is a funny film as well. It pokes a lot of fun at American culture. I mean as the story grows bigger and bigger an entire an entire circus essentially um, begins to form outside of the mine. Uh, there are people selling um, <laughs> musical lyrics to a song called Save Leo and um, there's like false charity donations and people <laughs> uh, bring their caravans and children and families out to see the mine. Um, and it really uh, is this really excellent commentary just about how the American culture is like, jumps onto a story, and they, and they I guess they they're so hungry to believe in something and to be a part of something um, at any given moment that they that they will essentially just rush out and uproot their whole lives. I mean, there's this great scene um, without spoiling too much, where uh, there's a radio man and he's, he's he's interviewing people who have come to see the mine, and essentially these people are bickering about who was first on the site. And um, it's obviously because we see that uh, <laughs> that Chuck and um, a few others were the first on site We know that they're all lying But all these people are just completely lying And um, <laughs> to, to gain any sense of notoriety And there's even an insurance man trying to Um, say that if Leo had insurance, uh, he, then he'll be looking good. And he's trying to sell his own insurance company to the people that are there. And, um, it's just this excellent, excellent melting pot of, um, of American citizens. And you just get a really great understanding of, um, Billy Wilder's, I guess, um, cynicism of of American culture at the time. Um, and yeah, at the, at its depths, that is what this film is about. It's about the corruption of the American soul, um, and about how, easily Chuck is able to manipulate these people because at the end of the day, uh, Chuck is the catalyst for Leo's wife. Um, essentially like selling out, uh, her husband's, uh, turmoil for her own personal financial gain. Um, and the sheriff is very happy to essentially let, uh, Chuck take control for any sense of reward that he will get through the election. And, um, even, even the man responsible who's, got the contract for trying to dig into the mine and free Leo, um, essentially decides to to go with Chuck's idea of taking the longer route um, to save Leo because uh, he will be promised further work down the line. And it just goes to show how easily um, uh, corruption can be found at the heart of American citizens, um, in the opinion of Billy Wilder. And that is um, truly... Truly, I guess, a a really ballsy uh, statement to make from Billy Wilder in the 50s. And um, I'm really glad that he made this film uh, because I really don't think that many uh, American directors of the time would have had the balls to... to To do something as as crazy as this and um, I think even Billy Wilder himself even remarks that the only reason he was able to make this film or a film this dark in the 50s was because of the success of Sunset Boulevard so he was privileged in that sense but he absolutely did not waste did not waste his opportunity because this is a incredible incredible film and one of the main things that I love about this film as well is that It's predicted, it's prediction of the media landscape of the 21st century and it's truly one of the only films I've ever seen that really, really actually predicts the future because it predicted how powerful and influential the media, uh, was to become, um, as we became more connected, uh, via stories and via, um, physical and now digital media and i think if billy wilder were alive today he'd be sitting in his armchair and he would be uh nodding his head because he he predicted pretty much everything that has come in the american media and i i get the sense that he would he would not like it one bit <laughs> um yeah so i guess to i guess to just to talk a little bit more it's it's a daring and bold introspection of american culture and it it does come with a very condemning tone um it, it it definitely it definitely in some in some ways makes the comment about a lot of the people in this town are caring people and they don't come at this from the perspective of trying to um trying to i guess Trying, trying to ignore Leo's suffering, but they certainly are more interested in their own gain, and I think that is a really poignant comment to make. Especially, and you've got to remember, this is 1951. Um, about other citizens in America, you know, this is this is the this is the time in American society where the nuclear family was a big element um, of culture, and you know, this is uh, post-war as well, where everyone's feeling really connected and really patriotic. So, for Wilder to make a film that pretty much objectively um, takes a shit on on um on american society and where it's heading and um just basically says that everyone is selfish and corrupt and only out for their own gain um it's a really really bold statement to make it's just one of the reasons why i love this film so much um and obviously i'm not going to spoil how the film progresses from there but as you can imagine um the tension grows higher and higher and um and as i guess the story becomes bigger and bigger. Um, the pressures become bigger and bigger on Chuck and on the people around them to, to ensure that, you know, um, that the story has a happy ending. And so they put themselves under duress and essentially it just spirals and spirals and spirals. And, and we see, um, I I, I guess, I guess we, we see, um, how far that will how far that will take you and if you haven't seen this film you definitely have to check it out in my opinion this is a film that i wouldn't say this for every film that i'm going to recommend on this podcast but this is a film that i think every single person uh who's interested in cinema who's interested in american history who's interested in just the media landscape in general and where we are as a society um would love and gain so so much from watching this film It is truly uh, one of the greatest films of the 1950s, if not the greatest, in my opinion. Um, And it has a stunning climax um, with just some of the most excellent cinematography for its time. So smart, so witty. Um, The dialogue is excellent. It's so well thought out, and it has an incredible score. Um, It's just, on every single aspect, this film is an absolute masterpiece, in my opinion. And yeah, if anyone has seen the film or does watch the film after listening to this podcast, um, I would love to have a conversation about it um, because yeah, truly one of the all-time great hidden gems of American cinema and one of my all-time favorites. Okay, guys, um, (laughs) that'll be enough for the spoiler-free review, so thank you so much for joining me again for episode three. And yeah, episode four will be coming out tomorrow, and I guess you'll just have to wait and see (laughs) what that film will be. So thank you so much again for joining me, and until next time, have a great day. Side note, I just remembered something after finishing recording, so I'm just going to add this at the end of the podcast. But I find it incredibly uh, poignant that I'm watching a film about the media exploiting someone who was trapped in a mine um... and essentially um, holding on for dear life um, with a struggle against time when in the real world the biggest story in the world right now is about um... uh... those poor five people that are stuck presumably at the bottom of the ocean in a submarine um, and you can literally go online and find countdowns until they run out of oxygen um... and i just think that <laughs> that for a film in 1951 to essentially predict a story that is uh, circulating the globe in 2023, um, that just goes to show um, how brilliant and how ahead of its time that uh, Billy Wilder was and how (laughs) um, ahead of its time that Ace in the Hole was. Um, So yeah, that's something just to think about as well on a side note And maybe a reason to pick this film up um, in the next few days or weeks Because uh, it's probably never going to be so relevant again (laughs)